Welcome to another edition of the Green Beach Podcast. As always, that, well, that is AJ. He's the one today. He is the green. I am Ken. I am the beige. And back once again is Ricky Nurse joining us at the desk. How's it going, fellas? And welcome, Ricky. Glad to have you again, sir. Hey, Rick, good to see you again, sir. Good to be back. Good to be back. Just in time for the playoffs. Indeed. It is Indeed. true. And this week has been a very active week on a lot of fronts. We got a lot of stuff to talk about this week. So we are going to do our best to give it to you green beige style. So first off, before we get into this week's topics, we have to say congratulations to David Formisano with the Denver Ravens Revenge for being the champion winning our inaugural Green Beige Fantasy League. He defeated Keelan Phillips's Kawhi Knot over our two-week final, 3.50 to 2.38. So, AJ, we definitely have to say congrats to the champ. Congrats, David. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't mind losing to the eventual winner. I would have still liked to win, but <laughs> everything happens for a reason. I'll be back next year, David. For sure, for sure. And it's... <laughs> The interesting thing about it is, because this is something that I like to check myself as well, um, for those who are wondering about the third place playoff where AJ was playing against my Green Bay, my Beige Bombers, well, my Bombers went down. But <laughs> when, we, when we looked at the scores, David actually had the best score over the last two weeks of the league. So he is definitely a worthy winner. So congratulations. Indeed. Congrats, David. Mm-hmm. Now, today's show, we have a lot to get to, because as Monday, January 10, the first Monday after the regular season has completed, it is often known as Black Monday, and that's the name of this week's episode, where coaches who have not done well during the season get their walking papers. But before we get to that, or the, even the games that played on Saturday and Sunday, we have to start one more time off the rip with Antonio Brown. This is an elevated, that's what he said. And boy, did Tony Totap have a lot to say. So this week, he went on the Full Send podcast and addressed many issues. Firstly, him having CTE. Now, he said CTE, you can't scan a person for CTE till they're dead, first off, he claimed. So how are you going to say a player that's living in real time, who's putting up real stats, who's standing for real purposes, who's doing real things, got CTE? I don't need no one to judge my mental space, bro, continued. I've got mental wealth. Sorry, I've got mental health. I've got mental wealth, as a matter of fact. Not mental health, mental wealth. I didn't just come on the show to drop you guys juice. I came here to Kumbaya. He also defended his walking off the field, again citing his ankle injury, which led to a dispute with the coaching staff. And I quote, he says, imagine the guy who you think has your back, who you flew here with to do a mission, and then know your situation. And you get there and you're battling with them. Then he tells you that because you can't go to war with him, he tells you to get the bleep out of there. I'm an alpha male. If you discriminate on my public image and my name, at that point, it's bleep you too, professionally. And of course, Tom Brady was not exempt from this latest tirade. Brown said, Brady is the general manager. 
He's the guy my agent made the contract with. He's the middleman and politician. I talk to Tom and he knows I'm not going to play. To me, a friend is someone who's got your back, he continued. Not everybody in sports is going to be your friend. Tom Brady is my friend. Sorry, Tom Brady is my friend. Why? Because I'm a good football player. He needs me to play football. People have different meanings of what friendship is. He went on to make comments comparing his contract to Rob Gronkowski and queried why he was on a prove-it deal. So that's what he said. Ricky, what do you have to say about what he said? The, the amazing thing about Mr. Big Chess, Mr. Antonio Brown, is that he is consistently inconsistent. He is proof that you really have to go to war with certain people when it comes down to going in the foxhole. And I think I'm not exaggerating when I'm saying that. I think the only reason that Antonio Brown was in Tampa Bay was because of Tom Brady. So the irony in terms of the of the Brady backlash is amazing. Um, ironically, I think HBO um, showed the clip from that game where Gronk was able to secure his seventh catch um, um, from the last week, week 18, guaranteeing him $1 million bonus. And the irony of watching that today is that you could see the level of loyalty that Brady has for his guys. And I felt as if AB was one of Brady's guys. So that the Brady tirade was amazing, considering I don't think AB would even be back in the league, you could argue, certainly not with Tampa Bay, not for Tom. I am wondering, though, if we underestimate just how much button pushing um, BA, so the irony of a AB versus BA battle, in terms of Bruce Arians. And um, it's obvious to me that say what you want and maybe um, AB has run out of chances. That's why the reaction is the way it is. But surely Bruce Arians must have been pushing some buttons because again, the reaction just makes no sense otherwise. Um, if you explain it in the context of the incentives and feeling that Gronk maybe may have been getting too much of the ball in that particular game, I guess there's a logical, you know, there's a logic thread there, but it still doesn't justify the explosion. But I think at this point now, if a team does take a chance at Antonio Brown, and I have a bit of a little different thought because I think there will be a team next season that does because they need, they need talent and, and, and we know teams can get a little desperate. But I think you have to recognize that if you don't get this guy in the right frame of mind, and I don't know how you maintain the right frame of mind for Antonio Brown for 18 games, so, par for the course, not surprised um, that something happened with AB because it's always something with AB, but I am surprised at the extent by which he went off the rails. Okay, what about you, AJ? What do you have to say about what he said? Well, <laughs> um, Ricky, to, to kind of like agree with one of the last points you made, I, I did say to Ken as well, I really think that this guy's going to get picked up by someone else next season because there are teams desperate enough that will take a chance on his talent and try to overlook everything else, right? Right. Uh, the first thing that struck me when you were saying that, Ken, is what, what causes uh, AB, what causes AB really fighting for? <laughs> I really want to know what causes AB fighting for besides AB. Fighting for causes? <laughs> I, I can't take anything this man says seriously. I, <laughs> even when the news broke, I was saying to, to a mutual friend of, on Twitter, listen, when it comes to AB, there's always more to the story. This is not just a case of B.A. telling him 
the F off on the sidelines and 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 you're older here and, and just like that because he didn't want to play like is A B. Trust that this story is deeper and there's something that he's overreacting to. Uh, and whether or not he was triggered, which which could be the case as well, Ricky, I do agree. Because we all know that BA is not a fan of his. And Correct. as Correct. Ken and I did say a couple of weeks back, we know that Tom is a GM of this team, right? Correct. And Correct. the only reason he's on this team is because of Tom. BA wasn't having it before. He said so to the media publicly. So I'm not doubting in any way, shape, or form that BA, that him and BA did have some kind of spot on the sideline. Again, Correct. it does not justify him flying off the handle that way and doing that because I, I really find it. I, I always found it hard to believe that what that the story that was coming out of his camp was 100% true. I, it, the, I, I, I'm, I'm is is Antonio Brown. I'm, I'm leaning more towards the, the, the side that he was, he was a bit peeved at the lack of production that he was getting on the field, especially after the story broke about the girl that he snuck into his room and he, told her watch what he'll do tomorrow. I'm pretty sure he was referring to what he'll do on the field tomorrow, right? And he wasn't getting those opportunities. Uh, sorry, I, I went off the rails a little bit. So circle back to what you asked. What, what I have to say about what Antonio Brown said, is I, there's, nothing, I, there's nothing for me to say. I've, I've ranted enough about Antonio Brown. The only thing I want to know is what causes this man fighting for? What causes AB? The only team cause AB fights... <laughs> team booming. Business is booming. Team That's all. Correct. I, I don't know. This man is an enigma wrapped in a, in, in a, a riddle or something. I don't know. No? So the only thing that I'm going to add to what you guys have said, because, AJ, you know, you spoke about this at length last week. So it's, it's annoying that with so much that's happened this week in football, we have to spend time again on Antonio Brown. However... When I, when I was listening to what he was saying, there's one thing that, that came to me that should give every general manager in the NFL pause. Where Antonio Brown is concerned is that AB does not take responsibility for anything. Nothing Never does. Never does. Never so does. He said that he, yeah, he know he got a bit of a reputation, but he's never done anything to anybody. But AB has been in court in handcuffs for mm-hmm. for what's the what's the word I'm looking for for assault and battery situations. Mm-hmm. He had a situation that caused him to be suspended, where it is alleged that he sexually assaulted a woman. So Antonio, with these things on your docket, how is it that you've done nothing? You've you've never done anything to anybody. He's always a victim. Always a victim. Always, always. always. So, so if you have a man who's not taking responsibility for his actions, and in a lot of cases, he's recording these things and putting them out there for everybody to see. Like the time when he threw the woman out of his house and was throwing her stuff in the street, like mm-hmm. in front of his children. So mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. am I then supposed to take you seriously when you say you've done nothing, but you've cataloged things for us to see you have done. You have been in court for things and it blows my mind. And then he talks about how that the making reference to how Gronk is Brady's boy versus how he is Brady's boy. So Gronk, he asked the question, so like, what sort of money is Gronk making? 
And why is AB on a prove it deal? But AB, you're on a prove it deal because nobody can trust you. Correct. So, and mm -hmm. the fact that nobody can trust you is because of you. It's not because of anything else. It's not as if to say you have been injury prone or anything like that. No, you have just been erratic. Erratic. Yeah, pretty much. So, so if I'm a GM and I'm hearing this interview, I understand that this interview is a lot of AB trying to do a lot of CYA. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I would be a little concerned because how can I then trust that you're going to come into my organization you're going to behave when you've acted a fool everywhere else that you've been? <sighs> I think that's enough about AB. <laughs> I think we spent enough time on AB for yeah, this. Pretty much. Season. So much. until the Saints sign him uh, next season. Listen <laughs> to me. If that were to happen, Ricky, we will go bring you back and you will go host the show because it'll be <laughs> myself. <laughs> All right. So now on to the games, fellas. Mm -hmm. 272 games are in the books. And as frantic as this NFL season was, we had a fitting end to the regular season with the Chargers at the Raiders. Early air, earlier in the day, the proverbial apple carrot got skinned up by the Jaguars hammering the Colts and what was the most unexpected result of the day and probably up there for the biggest upsets of the season. The Colts are now out of the playoffs. That gave an opening to the Ravens or the Steelers, but the Steelers found a way to win in overtime, giving them pole position for the number seven seed so long as Vegas and LA didn't end in a tie. And in the back and forth game where the Raiders were on top for long stretches and then the Chargers came roaring back, neither team could score in overtime. And a tie was on the cards as the Raiders seemed not to even try to get into scoring position until the Chargers called the timeout with 38 seconds left. The Raiders run the ball up the middle, got into field goal range and then kicked the field goal literally kicking the Chargers out the playoffs and the Steelers in as the seventh seed. So, fellas, Ricky, you first. What do you make of this topsy-turvy seventh seeding in the AFC? I think it was a classic example of, of how coaches can cost you games, can cost you big games. And I know... A lot of weight goes towards coaching. A lot of blame goes towards coaching. But when we get to, to playoff football, especially in the NFL, you see the value of coaching. Um, that's why Bill Belichick is a Bill Belichick. That's why Bill Purcells back in the day was a, a notable coach. And I think Brandon Staley may be accused of playing chess with silver and black eggs. And he cracked quite a few of those eggs in that, in that game because it's almost like he believed all of the headlines that were positive as far as, you know, you know, him being a bit of a genius and almost getting a lot of praise that wasn't necessarily well-earned because the Chargers still did things during the season that left you scratching your heads. How did they lose this game? How did they find themselves with all of this talent in this position? And it played out masterfully in that Sunday night game. Um we know that this team had problems stopping the run all season long. So for you mm -hmm. to all of a sudden need to call a timeout, uh, change formation to allow Josh Jacobs to break off a 14-yard run and finish you, 
up to now, this that that makes no sense. But I think honestly, I think that game was just a representation of everything the Chargers have been for the season. Totally out of it at one point. This game looked like it's over. Roaring back, you see the talent of a Justin Herbert, and then the coach finds a way to get in his own way and cost the team the game. What about you, AJ? <clears throat> when you look at this game and everything that happened. Well, you know I had to be irate about this because you know how I feel about <laughs> Justin. Y'all know how I feel about Justin. Correct. Correct. Listen to me. I was, I was incandescent with rage looking at this game. I could not believe. Just looking at the floor, like, you couldn't write a better script, you know. All you had to do was tie the game for both of y'all to just go in. And it's in perfect position going into Well, first of all, in the game itself, I mean, Justin Herbert had his, his bad moments, but this boy, this, this young fellow is incredible, you know. He really yes. is incredible. And, and Ricky, you spoke about that decision only, but even there's another, the, the other one that was earlier in the game, it was the fourth, it was a fourth down from their yes. own 17 or whatever. Fourth down from their own 17. Correct. 17, right. That's what it was, right. I was like, all right, even if you're going, first of all, poor decision at that point in time in the game. However, even if you're going for it there, put the ball in the hands of your quarterback. You know? The man who, who is, is, since he's joined the league, has been the best quarterback in the league uh, uh, at, at throwing the ball under pressure, right? The most successful at doing it. At least put the ball in his hands. And you saw what happened when he had the ball in his hands on, on, on Fordown later on in the game. They set a record for it. Put it all the or equal something like that. The first time in yeah, 30 years. Fourth down conversions, correct. Correct. I mean, come on. Like, like I, I don't normally like to blame one person for a loss. But, uh, and as you said, it's, it was, it was kind of, as you said, Ricky, it was kind of reminiscent of, of what the Chargers have been all year. Like, the yeah. team just, just can't contain a run, fall behind it, and Justin Herbert has to pull something out. Men couldn't, catch, men couldn't catch the ball. The, charge, the Chargers, and I'm pretty sure I heard as well, I couldn't find that stat, but I'm pretty sure I heard you in the game that the Chargers are the most penalized team in the NFL in 2021. They are so disorganized defensively. Right, man. Still, he's supposed to be a defensive coach, you know. Bear, bear in mind, he's supposed Correct. to be a defensive man, you know. Correct. The defense looked terrible, as you as you also alluded to. They can't stop the run. This entire team hinges on Justin Herbert, right? You're in a position now where you have the chance to make it. Like, <laughs> now, because looking at the looking at, at at the flow of the game, did any of you get the impression that the Raiders actually were trying to win? In overtime? No. After, no. after the game was level? No. no, and 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 their head coach kind of admitted as much. Versace, he did. He Correct. did say so. But obviously Correct. the timeout, the timeout would change your mind because it's like, all right, well, we have an understanding going on here. We obviously Correct. can't walk over to each other uh, uh, and say uh, on uh, and meet in the middle of the field and say, you know what, let's just stay for the tie right now. Nah, but based on how they were playing, they were in no man's land. They couldn't punt, they were out of field goal range. So Good grief, and and they weren't even trying to make to, to make any spectacle. It was it was so lacking. Basically, you could tell they were just running down the clock. What, like it just I, I was calling for Brandon City's head after that. Yeah, and I City did, go ahead. No, yeah. just say he, he didn't deserve to have a job. He didn't deserve to have a job after that. So, it was, but sorry, let me let me just finish off. Mm -hmm. I'm just finishing all the point here. With, with regards to that, I. I it's, it's all Brandon Staley's fault. The Chargers should be in the playoffs. 
And mind you, I, I, I honestly believe that they would have been gone in at Wildcard Weekend, but they should have at least been there. Let Justin Herbert at least get that experience. They should, they should have been there. Correct. You were saying, Ricky? Yeah, I just want to add um, bigger or boy Delano Brown because I believe that the sales of Advil, Tylenol, and Pepto-Bismol must have been through the roof for all Pittsburgh fans in, the, in that overtime period of that Facts. game. Facts. I am not a Pittsburgh fan, and I was very nervous for all Pittsburgh Steelers fans. In that in that overtime, because as as AJ said, it almost looked like the guys had come to a gentleman's agreement, and they were willing to accept the tie at the end of overtime until that fateful. Thing. You don't have to do anything. You're both right. in position to go. You don't. You don't need to try to run anyone so anyone gets hurt. You don't need to do right. anything. Just run on the clock. Correct. Sorry. Go ahead, man. Correct. 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 No, I started to laugh. I literally laughed out loud in my bedroom watching that game. When I saw the approach of the Raiders after the two-minute warning, because as a, if they are trying to win this game, they are going to come out and try to really push this ball down the field to get into field goal range. Correct. They ran on first down. I think they only got like two yards. I started to laugh because I was like, oh, I see exactly what's happening here. We are just going to just let this game just end. <laughs> and we're just watching the clock take off because if you're really trying to win the game, in the two-minute warning is just passed, you're not going to, if you're going to run the ball, you're at least going to run it with some measure of, you know, taste. Commitment. Commitment. Exactly. Commitment is the right word. Co correct. Yeah, you're going to operate with a measure of alacrity because time is against you. But no, I'm watching them run the ball and then the next thing they snap the ball is like two seconds left. So it's like, okay, so clearly they're not really trying. And the Chargers stop them again. I think by the time this third down is like third down and six or something like that. So you mean to tell me, if you are Brandon Staley, the guys are taking their time. They're, so it's not as if to say the refs have to hold up play because we are substituting. No, everything <laughs> is just happening as it needs to happen so we can both go to the playoffs. Bro, the Raiders didn't even use their timeouts. I don't understand what, like, I, I'm sorry, but... What was Brandon saying? The Raiders, the Raiders are, are as, you, as we said, lack of urgency, nothing. They didn't even use their timeout to, to stop the clock, to try and, and drop some plays. Nothing. What was Brandon Staley saying? Sorry, Kevin. But I was so irate for real, Jack. There was also a clip where Justin Herbert was seen on his and, and Yeah, and say, I, I never wanted a tie so bad. I never wanted a tie so bad. Correct, correct, correct. But, I mean, the... Now, you know, Brandon Staley, after the game, his explanation of calling the timeout was he wanted to get into the Royal Personnel Group to handle the third down play. But come on, Brandon, you just stopped the men. You've not been stopping the run all season, but you just managed to hold them to four yards on two plays. They're running the ball again. We know they're running the ball again. Leave the same personnel grouping out there that has been able to stop the run because they're not really trying. And the irony is that the personnel job. group on the field was getting the job done because the Raiders weren't trying. 
Because they were, they didn't care. Yeah. Yo, even right after the game, when um when Derek Carr was being interviewed, and and, and he was asked like if a time time out change your mindset, and he said yeah, of course. But then he snapped back into into diplomatic mode, and he was like, Correct. but I mean, Correct. I mean, you know, our Correct. intention was always to win. Yeah, yeah, that's what you have to say. But we all Correct. know that you were very happy to take the tie as well because it meant you were still safe. Like every, it was an understanding. Yeah. I even yeah, Rex, Rex, even Rex Wine on the next day was saying it. Everyone in the world and in the stadium knew that 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 um, what was supposed to happen. Clearly, except Brandon Steely. He could want a job. He could want a job. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will get to the to the Black Monday movements in a second. But before we get there, we still have to move over now to the AFC East, which is where you two guys are from. We still had a lot to be decided. The Bills were at home to the Jets. The Patriots were at the Dolphins. Of course, not nearly as much drama in these two games as what happened on Sunday night because Josh Allen scored two touchdowns and the Bills D allowed Zach Wilson only 87 yards on 7 of 20 passing to win the game 27-10. to 10. Meanwhile, Bill Belichick probably wishes he could erase Will Smith's Miami from ever being made because they had yet another letdown in South Beach. 33-24 loss to the Finns. The end result is that the Bills won the East and the Patriots are a wild card team. So AJ, you first. What do you make of these final standings? Um, it kind of is as we expected at the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. um, as the season progressed, we... I mean, I, I know... I don't, I'm not sure how Rick had it, but I know... But Ken, you, myself, and Justin, when we were on, we were all saying that we thought that my Pats had a, stood a chance based on how we were playing. And then in the end, I just kind of realized how much we actually did suck, especially offensively. And, <laughs> and it, 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 ended, it ended the way as that I expected it to. Yeah, I went, as, as per our predictions when the season started, as per my predictions at least. However, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed with how it ended with how it ended. Not, not necessarily the fact that um, we did finish second, because like I can't remember I told you at the beginning of the season, I expect us to come second in this, in this um, group. The Bills are going to retain division as a group. However, I, I still did think that we were a playoff team. I thought we were good enough to make a playoff, or at least wildcard, you know, make a postseason, essentially. The thing is, though, I just don't like how we ended that season. I just, I just we, were, we were not good enough. And, and I always... I always had a bit of, of I know, a, a bit of worry about us going to Miami to play. And I'm pretty sure I mentioned that already. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I kind of wasn't surprised by the loss because we just don't play well down there. But at this time, it's no Tom Brady, you know? And the team just doesn't look buttoned up coming towards the end of the season. I at least wanted us to win to win one after we one game after week 18. I don't see it now. I honestly feel like like we're going to lose to the Bills. I don't want it to happen, of course, but I so in the grand scheme of things, it it as much as I am not surprised by the final standings of the AFC East, I, I'm I'm a bit disappointed in the fact that we seem to like peak in the middle of the season and then we had like a a, a downward um spiral out of control almost 
um, coming towards the end. I would have preferred if it was a slow buildup and we ended the season on a strong note. That's as much as I could say about that division. What about you, Ricky? Well, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with AJ. In the sense, I think we ended up at a destination we expected. Uh, Buffalo taking the division, um, New England doing New England things and being there or thereabouts. Um, I just think that the road travel was a little different. But one thing I would say, the, the South Beach Entertainment certainly is the best 12th man when it comes to the Patriots <laughs> at South Beach. There's no question. They, I mean, let's be real. The the Dolphins found a way to win both games against the Patriots this season, which was in itself strange. Um, very beginning of the season, and then at the end. Um, and I know we'll get into it a little later, but it says something about Brian Flores' ability to have that team at least ready for those divisional matchups because they actually mm -hmm. played well in division. Their issue was, you know, that seven-game losing streak against outside of the division. Mm -hmm. um, my Jets, we have the youngest team in the league, and it showed. We have a serious deficit when it comes to talent, and it's showing. Um, so I just have to keep the faith that somehow my GM and my head coach and coaching staff are going to find ways to keep adding. Um, what surprised me was the, the season that Miami, that Miami had, because I thought Miami would have been more competitive, and Miami actually had three different seasons. They had that losing streak, as we described. They had the moments where you could see that they didn't really trust Tua, and that showed up even with the crescendo of talk for Deshaun Watson. I mean, at one point, I was like, wait, does this head coach really have Tua's back? Because he never really came out and gave a resounding show of faith to Tua. Mm -hmm. Look at Miami season, and during that period, they kept losing games, and then all of a sudden, the like switch came on, and they have a note here. They won eight of their final nine games. So Miami's season was all over the shop. And I think New England, I really had Belichick around there or thereabouts for coach of the year. Certainly when they won that game in Buffalo. But as AJ said, uh, two of the last three games, New England's offensive <coughs> challenges are what did them in. So I think that, yeah, it's going to be tough sledding. It could be tough sledding for them this weekend when they go to, to Buffalo. Um, but I think that, I think the division did what we expected it to do. But I just want to, I made a comment, I made a note here. I think that Buffalo has shown us that they're a playoff team, but I don't think they showed us that they're a Super Bowl-ready team. And to me, that was a key observation this season because when last season ended and they lost to Kansas City, we kind of felt that Buffalo was going to come back as a Super Bowl contender. The Buffalo that I saw this season, solid playoff team, yes, but I did not see Super Bowl contender from the Bills this season. And that was, to me, that's an indictment, again, on the Bills, because to me, you, come, you should come back this season ready to go to L.A. and compete in the Super Bowl. I don't get those vibes from this Buffalo team. Mm -hmm. Well, I will be honest. AJ, you knew this, and I'll be honest with the with the viewers as well. I didn't pay attention at all to these last two games. <laughs> because, <laughs> first of all, this is your guys' division, and these games happen to be happening on the at the same time on the other side of the bracket, and that is where my focus was. Correct. So finally, the NFC West. And as an Arsenal fan, I should have known better than to expect anything from a Stan Kroenke back team when you really 
Rams needed uh. a win or a cardinal loss, cardinals loss to secure the West crown. The Saints in the South also needed a Rams win so that they could right. defraud the Rams' opponents, the 49ers, and get into the playoffs. And Matthew Stafford went from conquering Ram to the Lion from the Wizard of Oz yet again. 21 of 32, 238 yards, three touchdowns, two picks to the San Francisco 49ers doomed them to an overtime loss with their final score of 27 to 24. That should have been enough to demote them to the wildcard side of the bracket, except the Arizona Cardinals were also putting up their own show of ineptitude, losing 38 to 30 to a Seattle team that had nothing better to do than play a spoiler. So the Rams win the division, the Cards and the Niners are both wildcards, and the Saints are home. Ricky, you can go first. <laughs> yeah, let me let me say this. I think beginning of the season again, and that's what I like about the NFL because the storylines change. Matthew Stafford was an MVP candidate. We heard all the, oh, this is the Matthew Stafford that we knew he could be. And, you know, the, the, the people were packaging the image of Matthew Stafford MVP for it. Um, certainly the first quarter of the season. And then Matthew Stafford did what Matthew Stafford does. Find a way to get that ball into the hands and the bosom of the other team. And he consistently did that. But I realized that these stories are told differently when you play for certain teams. So Stafford was having this issue with these interceptions for the second half of the season. But no one was saying anything about it because he has Sean McVeigh on his sideline. He has the, the defense, the brand name defense, as I like to call them. And there's no way that Stafford is going to get away with that kind of play in the postseason. So I wasn't surprised that the Rams found a way. And also there was a, a point that was made about the crowd noise. <laughs> made. And I was embarrassed. I was actually embarrassed as an NFL fan um, to hear that Stafford made this point. And they were playing at home though. They were playing in the stadium that they hope to be playing in in a few weeks for the Super Bowl. And you allow the 49ers. I mean, yes, 49ers has a fan base, but they're not in the top five, top six, in my opinion, of fans who travel and, and noise. You know, there's a legacy to this, and they don't rank the 49ers fans there. So for the 49ers fans to be able to come into your stadium and you have an issue with crowd noise in your own stadium on the eve of the playoffs, I, I, I was actually embarrassed when Stafford said that because that's only going to get worse. And teams of the, you know, fans of the teams that you have to play now, they're going to say, well, look, let's not only show up, but let's make it loud because clearly that can impact this gentleman, one Matthew Stafford. So I was not surprised there. The Cardinals, uh, the Cardinals have been showing us that they have challenges basically the second half of the season. So that one didn't surprise me. Because, you know, Seattle had nothing. They're playing with house money and just decided, all right, let's just mess up your uh, your final step before you go into the playoffs. But, yeah, Arizona's not been looking good for quite quite a while. So that one didn't surprise me. But the Rams, again, playoff quality team, but I don't see a Super Bowl caliber team. 
what will you AJ? What what do you make of this this mess in the West? <laughs> mess in the West, I like it. Mess and I like it too. Well, I, I didn't mention it last week when we recorded because I left you to speak about about your about yeah the NFC, your conference essentially. But it played out exactly the way I, I expected it to. Um not necessarily the Cardinals losing. I didn't care too much about them and losing and whatnot. Because they were already in. The Rams are already in too. But I'm not surprised that the Rams lost. How, how many weeks now have I been telling you I don't trust the Rams? I've been saying I don't trust the Rams. Mind you, I was, I was one of the guys that was very high on Stafford coming into the season. Mm-hmm. I wasn't because I, I even drafted him with confidence in one of my <laughs> main leagues. He let me down in the second half of the season too. And if he ever comes in the store, because he's from around the area where, where I work, right? If he ever comes in the store, I will let him know that too. I ain't afraid. I will let him know how he disappointed me this season because he had no excuse. He'd given the ball over to the other team as if he have a son. He playing catch with across there. Uh, but in any case, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't trust the Rams. I don't trust the Rams. And the Rams are going to have to prove me wrong and then make me come on my new segment. Yeah, by the way, which will be released on Friday accurate or not, they will have to make me come and say that I was wrong. But I do not trust this Rams team and I haven't for a few weeks now. So it's no surprise to me that they lost again to a Niners team who had been picking up steam and just rolling through the second half of the season. Again, at the, the, what, what the, the Niners do very efficiently is run the football. And then they have a juggernaut in Debo Samuel who cannot be contained at any cost. Um, the, I just said it there, the Niners. Like, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm not surprised that that it played out that way, and then uh, and the fact that they ended up stopping your your Saints um, in that regard, Ken, because we know you're going to beat the Falcons. The Falcons are the Falcons just short to show up, but we know you're going to win that game. But I really am not surprised, and I actually I I probably haven't even spoken about this much, but I have so much faith in the Niners that I'm actually taking them to beat the Cowboys. On wildcard weekend, yeah, not just because of that, but this team has actually been playing well. And 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 porn star Jimmy, God bless his soul, man. He he been <laughs> he been playing as 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 good as he can, as uh, as good as Jimmy G can. We know his limitations already. He's been, he's been doing efficiently um, with what he has and in his offense and defense still is what it is. I don't trust the Rams and I trust the Niners more. Just one key point there, though, um, Ken, is that something about that division that they can send forward three teams to the playoffs. I mean, they're only they're only seven spots available, but it does say something about the division that three of those four teams find a way to get into. Agreed. Those. Agreed. <laughs> Ken is not too pleased with that one, AJ. <laughs> <laughs> So I have, AJ, I have to thank you for your, your statement on Porn Star Jimmy because that caused me to laugh during the segment because I didn't have <laughs> So for those of you who are seeing this on YouTube, you will see I have a virtual background up behind me. I am actually not sitting on the field of the Superdome. <laughs> but I had to do something to show the level of pride I had in my squad for the way we had to battle this season to finish 9-8. I thought that we were going to finish 8-9, honestly, or worse, when we lost as many players as we did throughout the season. And when you look and you saw that 
Well, Ricky, as you said, your Jets are currently the youngest team. Mm-hmm. The Tennessee Titans, they had the most players overall Correct. for the entire season. The Saints had the most starters all season long. True. And on top of that, this season we had four <coughs> quarterbacks. We have four quarterbacks start games. And we still managed to come to be on the cusp of getting into the playoffs if the Rams won the game. So kudos to the Saints. But you see them Rams? Them Rams won't put in on top of the altar yep. and let the fire from heaven come and rain down on them. How do you have to win this game to make sure that you solidify your, your winning of the division mm-hmm. and you go and you cough it up so badly to the San Francisco 49ers at home. Now, I know there are 49ers fans out there like Jamel Hill who posted on Twitter celebrating uh, on Instagram that, you know, basically there was no way in her mind that the Rams were ever going to beat the 49ers. 49ers wanted it more and it showed. And to your point about the crowd noise, if you are the home team, <laughs> you need to make a way, you need to make sure that you secure your home field advantage. There's right. a reason why all of these games don't play at neutral sites. You play at home so that you can get your crowd in there to back you up during the game. You do not sell all of these tickets to the away fans. That's the right. one. And then you remember when there was a lot of the talk about the fact that the Rams were going to LA and then the Chargers decided they were going to pick up sticks from in San Diego and join mm-hmm. them in LA. Mm-hmm. The thing was, if you are dealing with LA crowds, LA is LA for a reason. Mm-hmm. There are lots of competing interests with what's happening on Sunday afternoons in LA. Yes. So if you are going to be bringing a team there, then it has to be a team like the Raiders who bring everybody to the game so mm-hmm. that you don't ever get overshadowed in your own stadium. The, the Rams were a previous LA team and they went back there, but they don't have the big enough following. Yeah, they don't have any entity. When the Rockers 49ers fans come in there and recognize, oh, wait a second, if we keep just a little bit of noise, All right. it's going to affect this entire offense. So guess what? No, we have to be, we, we the Rams have to be using silent counts for the offensive line because they can't hear. We have to have the, the guard peeping back at Stafford like he's right. on the away side to tap right. the center to snap the ball because he can't hear the snap count. Debo Samuel even made the point that he think they were filtering in crowd noise. Which really and truly, again, is another slap in the face because you can't be in week 18 and you need to filter in crowd noise. This is not the COVID season. We should not be having to do any of those shenanigans. Agreed. Agreed. But you do, you do, you. Oh my God. And nobody's saying so home because of their ineptitude. No, both of these teams from the NFC West have no 
reversed into the playoffs. They fall into the playoffs but first. And mm -hmm. I expect they're going to be skinning on those same butts in these first games. I have, AJ, I have no faith in the Rams. The Rams should have stayed in St. Louis. I have no faith in the Cardinals. The wheels have fallen off that bus. The bus is flat on its irons and the wheels are skipping going down the road. I have limited faith in the 49ers, but there'll be time for that. There'll be time for that later. I can, I can step off my soapbox here. Only thing I'm saying there, Ken, is that the Rams are playing the Cardinals, so one of them exactly. is going to happen. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I was just about to say. One of them is going to happen. <laughs> so that is a perfect segue now into this week's schedule. So my sins are not here, but I mean, anyhow, I'll get over it. I remember, I, it, then I not say that I didn't want the Saints necessarily to make the playoffs because I thought we were going to be one of that. I pretty yeah. much, I, I did say that, right? Yeah, but yeah, It's yeah. different yeah. now when you had a chance to get there. When it, when it that close, yeah, yeah it, it, hits, it hits different. Yeah, when it hits it's different. It's conspiring against you, you don't make it. So, <laughs> this week, on this week's schedule, on Saturday is where we have the playoffs begin. The Las Vegas Raiders, they go to the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, that's at 4.30 p.m. Eastern on NBC. That game is then followed on Saturday night by the New England Patriots at the Buffalo Bills, which the guys made mention of before. On Sunday, we kick the slate off with the Philadelphia Eagles at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Then we go to the San Francisco 49ers. They travel down by AJ to face the Dallas Cowboys. Sunday night finishes with the Pittsburgh Steelers who are holding a retirement party for Bill, for um, what's his name, Ben Roethlisberger. Mm -hmm. They're going to the Kansas City Chiefs. And then for the first time, we're having a Monday night playoff game, Arizona Cardinals at the Los Angeles Rams. And I know there'll be lots of time for us to pick those games after they play. But it is Black Monday. And boy, was it a Black Monday for some. On average, every season, there are six to seven coaching changes per year. And would you believe it? We are right at that number. Earliest in this season was John Gruden. And later on, it was then Urban Meyer. Then, unfortunately for Vic Fangio, the Broncos played on Saturday against the Chiefs. So Black Monday came for him on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. And like Jesus on resurrection morning, he was up out the tomb of the Mulhai Stadium. What followed on Monday were some names that we'll run through, which also spilled over into Tuesday. So in the spirit of the plug that AJ gave us before, accurate or not, we'll play a little surprising or not. So, gentlemen, as I call the names, you just tell me surprising or not. And then we'll, we'll get into it. So. Vic Fangio, Denver Broncos. Surprising or nah? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then we move on to Matt Nagy and his GM. Both are outs of the Chicago Bears. Surprising or nah? Nah, nah. Nah, I, I, I was actually slightly surprised that they let go Ryan Pierce. Slightly. Not, not too surprised, but I'm like, all right, it kind of makes sense, but Nagy, nah. Mike Zimmer... And his gym in Minnesota. 
again, nah for me because I, I this felt like a marriage that needed to end for a while. Well, I am agreeing with all three of you, so that's why I'm not saying <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, right? Brian Flores of the Miami Dolphins, surprising or not? Surprising, surprising, was surprising. Nah, we'll get back to that. And then the one that came down the pipe on Tuesday, Joe Judge, he is out from the New York Jets. And we had been told from a little while before that Gettleman, the GM, he was retiring. So surprising or nah? Nah. Okay. No, on, on the least. All right. So we got four sweeps of nah, and then one with a little bit of um, disagreement. So I'll give you guys, well, I'll give Ricky first crack. So you can go back down through the list, Ricky. You can... Tell me what you think about these guys being fired and, and what have you. Great. Let me start with Fangio. Um, the Denver Broncos set a record now six consecutive losing seasons since their Super Bowl appearance in 2015. The reality of it is that's never happened before. You, you don't usually see a team be able to go to the Super Bowl. You usually, you know, see a, a gradual decline not um, the situation we've seen. Uh, the rumors relative to Aaron Rodgers, et cetera, is not doing them any favors. Strangely enough, they resigned almost all. I think they were resigned their full uh, wide receiver core, essentially, because they resigned Sutton and Tim Patrick to, to long-term deals. So their defense is pretty, pretty competitive by uh, all means. So it... It was not surprising because when I heard Fangio try to throw his QBs under the bus, recognizing that he was the bus driver, I knew, all right, this, this has to go. The problem that I see there, though, is that if you don't get one of these marquee name QBs in the offseason, then I'm not sure that the situation will get any better for who the new head coach is. So that one for me is one that if they don't pull the trigger and get an Aaron Rodgers or a Russell Wilson or a Deshaun Watson, I think they can be back here and that six losing seasons will go on to, to number seven. So that one could get messy if they don't secure that marquee QB. So I'll start with that one and over to AJ for the next one. Oh, as in, um, so who, what was next? It was Zimmer. Yeah, I just, I, I just picked um, Vic, but you can. So, so I mentioned, I mentioned that um, with regards to Zimmer, it felt like, it felt like this was always going to happen. Like it was inevitable. Like it just felt like, I don't, I, I still, I'm not going to say that Mike Zimmer is a bad coach, but I think this combination has, this this marriage is youth, this um, union, sorry, has yeah. reached its apex along uh, probably a, a good two three seasons ago, and there's no going back. They've they've declined since then, and there's no going back, right? And new ideas are just needed, especially offensively. That team was stagnant offensively, um, so and and Zimmer himself is supposed to be more of a defensive mind, but even on on the defense, like they still weren't as as buttoned up and as good as they had been in the last few seasons. Granted, they did have a few injuries um, and some other like more serious injuries with defensive players, but 
Um, and to that as well, I was actually speaking with one of my coworkers is, is a Vikings fan and he was saying, and which I completely agree with, I, I think that the Vikings at this point should be going for a more offensive mind as head coach. Mm-hmm. And, and the name Eric Bianami comes to mind. Um, Zimmer might still have a job somewhere in the league, but his time with, as, as a head coach of the Minnesota Vikings had to come to an end. He was there for how many seasons now? Was it seven or eight? How many was it? I think eight. I, I, it was eight. I may have mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. I, have, I don't have those notes. Yeah, I, I can't recall exactly. But either way, I, it's, it's it, it, more, it, more it, like than I said, enough time. Yeah, it's more than enough time. And, I, and a new, like I said, new ideas are need, were, You could tell new ideas are needed with this team because they still have Kirk for another season or two. And, mm-hmm. and with the offensive weapons that they have right now and in the division that they are in, like they just need something. They need, they need something fresh. They need a fresh start and new ideas at, at, at the head coach position. It, it always felt like if they were just trying to see the season through. I made mention earlier on in the season, though, that they were getting wins at certain points that seemed to be like keeping them in playoff contentions. But after you lose to the Detroit Lions, your season is pretty much over with. That's it. Yeah. They, 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 they need a fresh start. It, it's, it's needed. Okay. No problem. So... I know we, we had no disagreement on any of the others except for Brian Flores. And Correct. I was the only one that was not surprised that Brian Flores was fired. No. Right. Living in Denver, I knew Fangio was gone before long, early up in the season. I knew this was going to be his last season unless he pulled a rabbit out of the hat. AJ, you know I've been calling for Matt Nagy to get fired a long time ago. As well as Mike Zimmer. I've been calling for his head too. Mm. So those two being fired is not a surprise. But the reason why I am not surprised that Brian Flores was fired is because, first off, Brian Flores is the wrong complexion to be mediocre. And when you're missing the playoffs, as the Dolphins have been doing all along, he has not made the playoffs since he's been there. That spells mediocrity. On the back of what happened at the end of last season, you would have expected and you would have been, it would have been a reasonable expectation that Mm. the Dolphins would have started this season on fire. It would have been definitely one of the better teams in the AFC and it would have been cruising at the beginning. And he gave us false hope, beating the Patriots in the first game of the season and then losing seven straight. After he lost those seven straight, I knew it was just a matter of time. Yes, he has go- he's won eight of the last nine, as you said, Ricky, which would have gotten them back into some measure of contention. But the fact still remains that you went one and seven in the first eight games of the season after starting last season horribly. And if, I don't even remember what happened in the first season. It really wasn't anything really to speak of. I think they finished last season six and ten. Mm-hmm. So when you take the body of work, to full consideration and again he's the wrong complexion to be having these sort of issues you may mention of him and Tua where reports are he didn't even want to draft Tua in the first place and was yanking him whenever he could then you have some of the other personal issues like even with um, Kel Van Noy who was a captain 
and then got cut in the offseason and didn't even know that he was going to get cut. We take all that into consideration now. Brent Flores, he is a good coach. And I see that his name is already being floated out there for the Chicago and some other spots to interview. But nah, Miami was not the spot for him. So well, the thing is to that as well, right? I I get what you're saying, and I I can't really push back on the complexion point. <laughs> I, I I'm I, I ain't gonna discuss that part. However, with with all the other stuff you're saying, I I I still believe I'd like. Usually when these things happen, I, I at least try to take a step back and see it from, from the perspective of, like, the owners and why they would make this move. And in certain cases, I feel like it is justified, right? I honestly couldn't make sense of this. I understand what you're saying, kind of the fact that it, it I mean, all of, that, all of that probably does factor in, but it, it, I ended up seeing something today. I didn't share it because I saw it just before, um, just before I got home. So I didn't want to skin up the apricot again, as you said. Uh, as you said earlier, use part, that parlance by introducing this new topic. But NFL insider Jordan Schultz apparently was seeing that there was a little, and, and with some stuff that you just mentioned, like the fact that he didn't want to, he actually wanted Justin Herbert, that being Brian, um, Brian Flores. There was tension in, 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 in the office, the front office basically between him and the GM Chris Gray. And Chris Graham basically went over, well, he's not over his head because he's his boss, but he basically went to the owner and told him, yeah, I don't think we can win with, with Brian Flores. So he basically manipulated the situation and Stephen Ross to get Brian Flores fired. So all of that does factor into it as well. I, 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 again, it could, be, it could be his complexion too, but it's, it's a lot more politics than the results for me because I don't believe that the results warranted him being fired, which is why I was surprised, especially given the fact that Tua has not shown up. And this is not on just any and anyone. Tua has not shown up. And yes, I, I have criticized Flores in the past for how he has used Tua as well, but he just, and even in, like, Jalen Waddle, who they drafted to be a weapon for Tua, just broke the, the rookie receiving record, Right. So you have a you have a weapon a weapon like that, but Tua still hasn't been like the, the quarterback to take over a game and lead and march a team down the field and lead. He still hasn't in a in a sophomore year. So I if if it was that they were getting rid of Tua, I'm say, I was saying that to say if, they, if it was that they were getting rid of Tua as well as Forrest, I would understand that more because Ken that would be to me like the same conversation that we've always had about Arizona with with um when Steve Kime got rid of um Wilkes. Mm -hmm. And Josh Rosen to start up. So if, if they were if they were getting rid of head coach and QB to start that over, I would understand. But you know that they're not doing that with Tua though. They're not they're not because they wanted Tua. Brian Flores didn't want it. So I mean, after all of this came out, I was kind of like, okay, this makes more sense to me that it was something behind the scenes more so than his actual results. I'm doubting the fact that he is of a darker shade, could have had something to do with it. But you know. That's conjecture at this point. I don't want to speak right. too much on that. I'll, I'll, let, I'll, I'll leave you to allude to those points. <laughs> yeah, I would just like to add that I get I get Tim Tebow vibes from Tua. And I can tell you why. Nice guy, well-liked, um, you know, well-documented college career, including win winning a national championship on a big stage. 
So you come in with all this expectation, all the hype. Everybody loves you based on what you did in college and the nice guy image. But you have your shortcomings. You have your shortcomings that you know are not going to translate from the college game to the NFL. But then what happens? A certain segment of the fan base falls in love with you. People talk about all the intangibles that you bring to the table, even though we can't measure those intangibles on the field of play. Mm -hmm. And nobody on your team really goes to back for you. I always listen when it comes to Miami Dolphins, who is going to back for tour? And it doesn't happen. Same thing with Tim Tebow. He started in that movie when he was with the Broncos and with the Jets. Everybody loves him, but nobody goes to back for him. So I get those same Tim Tebow vibes from tour, where I say to myself, because this guy is a nice guy and because he has a history on the college level and brand recognition in our homes, we kind of give him several passes. So we give him to all these passes that people give Tim Tebow as well. But your coach ain't really going to bat for you. The other players on your team not going to bat for you. And there were several times, as AJ rightfully said, um, last season when Flores needed to win a game that he pulled to a, and put Fitz back into the game to win critical games when he mm -hmm. needed some wins. So when I saw that, I said, no. I, and I know the storyline is well documented that Flores didn't want to. Um, he wanted Herbert. Everyone knows that. As I said earlier, the Deshaun Watson phase in the season made me believe that this man really wanted Watson and that tour was a goner. And then obviously that fell apart. So I think what's going to be interesting going forward is to see what direction Miami goes. Mm -hmm. But it may affect. I hope it's done, man. Yeah, it may affect the recruitment <laughs> of a head coach because if the GM and the owner have decided that Tua stays as the QB, there are certain, and I know we'll get to this in the next segment, there are certain head coach candidates that may not want that Miami job. So it may not be as attractive as you would normally expect for a job in Miami because. If, if you are stuck with Tua as your QB, you may say, you know what? Let me take let me take another job. Ricky, you are setting up my segue as well. I appreciate <laughs> my job as host really, really easy. So because, as you made mention of our next section, now we, we know the teams that are looking for head coaches. We have Denver, Chicago, Minnesota, Miami, and the Giants. Jaguars still don't have a head coach. And we said before that Rich Bisaccia, he doesn't necessarily fit the profile of the Raiders. Right. But of course, there's a lot of talk that we're hearing now that it may be a little difficult to not give him the job because of how beloved mm -hmm. he is with mm -hmm. the team and the organization. So, mm -hmm. because we don't know what's going to happen with him yet, we're going to keep the Raiders in this conversation. So when we look at the seven teams right now, which of these jobs would be the best job? Is that with you, Ricky? All right. I had my notes. I said, yes, when we get to this, this is what I'm going to say. This is the reason <laughs> why. And then, boom, got a prompt on my phone saying that Joe Judge is out. It was Blue Tuesday, and, and big up to your listener, Mark Thompson, for, for messaging me that one, that today was Blue Tuesday because of what happened with Big Blue. <laughs> and 
I will have to say I will change my pick to the New York Giants simply because I think there is talent in New York on both sides of the ball, and I think the issue may have been coaching. I am not as sold on the quarterback um, as some Giants fans are, so I agree. And that is something that when you have when you have two picks in the top eight picks in the draft, if you want to move on from Daniel Jones, if the new GM and the new head coach have determined that we need to move on from Daniel Jones, you can do so because your GM has retired, your coach is now gone, and anyone who's coming into that position can easily pull the trigger with one of those two um, top eight picks if they so desire. I mean, it's a function of if you have enough talent in the draft, obviously. But if your decision was to move to Pickett or, or one of the QB options, you can now do so as well. You're not, you know, you're not tied and vested to Daniel Jones. So the reason I say that is because the NFC East is by no means a foregone conclusion as a division. So if I'm a head coaching candidate and I look at the seven options I can outline, you can find a QB or maybe you can even get a free agent because you can bring Russ to town. You have options, right? You can say, okay, if we can get two years out of Russ, this is what we can do. So to me, the Giants job is the job because if I can get a Russ or a Deshaun or whoever or someone in the draft with the talent that that team has, because I believe the Giants have talent. They just didn't know how to harness it. I think that team can go from worse in the division to a contender to win the division next season. So that's the only reason that I would go with the Giants because, and, and they have the draft capital also because they're in that position. Um, that, so my, my, my most attractive job um, at the 11th hour was changed to the New York Giants. Understood. So what about you, AJ? Which job is most attractive to you? I'm going to keep the answer that I had from before. Um, <laughs> I think the Giants is still a cesspool, but I, I, I commend <laughs> I commend that analysis, Ricky. I commend it. I like it. Um, I, I can't see it, but I, I, I actually made mention of this earlier and pulled myself back because I wanted to get to here, but I think it's the Vikings. I think it's the Vikings because of their situation, number one. If it is like... The fact that the Packers have gone on to have this solid season and, and, and all that, and we t we're now getting into the playoffs, so that is, is the main storyline at this point. But it, it let's not forget that Aaron Rodgers could still be out of this team at the end of the season. Him and Devontae Adams could be moving on from this team at the end of the season, right? The, the Vikings are not very far. Like, they're still the second-best team in the division, as was shown this year. They finished 8 and 9, and it could have been better, right? Now... I'm, don't get me wrong, it's not like they have the... I, I'm not even saying definitively that Kirk Cousins is the best. Like, talent-wise, Justin Fields has a higher ceiling than Kirk Cousins. But at this point, if Aaron Rodgers were to actually leave, Kirk Cousins would be the, the, the best of, of that lot in division. With the offensive weapons they have right now, you have Justin Jefferson, who was the record he, he just set, um, the most receptions for a play in his first two seasons, Right? You, they have obviously our Adam Thielen, the Dalvin, I, I write Dalvin Cook, and then and then Alexander Madison, who is mm -hmm. uh, to me arguably like the best number two. Like mm -hmm. they, they're not even using Tanda, but any anytime Cook is out, is like pacing a carbon copy of yeah. Cook 
in in by putting in Madison, right? So yeah. they could utilize Madison a bit more and have like a one-two punch in the backfield. They still have Irv Smith Jr., the tight end, who's going to come back from injury. And on the defense, like I'm just looking looking here at the Ross and just like some names on the defense as well. Yeah, it's your, your Sheldon Richardson, Anthony Barr, your Eric Kendricks, your um, Harrison Smith, Patrick Peterson. Well, we don't know exactly what's going to happen with Everson Griffin, but the fact of the matter is this team has talent on both sides of the football, on both sides of the football. And in, in their situation, in, in that division, they have the chance now to be able to go for it because the Bears are not going to be that team next year. The Lions will still be the Lions. And if Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams leave the Green Bay Packers, there is going to be a transitional phase to go through for that team. Right? As much, as much um, talent as the Packers themselves have, that, that is going to be a big blow. You're not going to lose Aaron Rodgers and just continue with smooth sailing. So I, to me, based on that, and, and which is why I mentioned earlier the fact that the Vikings should have more of an offensive mind um, as head coach, to, to utilize that, to utilize that going forward. The defense might need some rebuilding, but you could you could get somebody to take care of that who, you know, could, could make them a solid unit, but you have to utilize the offense right now. And, and as I said before, it's because you, you already have Kirk, they have to use him for, for whatever time is remaining. You're paying him, so you're going to want to use him. Use him now. And, and they have a chance to step up and win this division. Win the division if Rodgers and Devontae Adams leave. However, if... if in the unlikely event that they both do stay with the Packers, and I say unlikely because I really don't see both of them staying there, in the event that that happens, the Vikings can still be the second best team in that division and make the playoffs. And that's what we need right now. Okay. Now, my pick, the best team that they are the best situation for a head coach going in is different from both of you. And while your situations will have the leg up on mine just because of the divisions that they're in. My pick was actually my Denver Broncos. I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. Mm. I knew that was coming. Mm. Now, I don't share your optimism, Ricky, with the New York Jets. The main reason is I don't, after what we've seen this season from their receiving core, Mm -hmm. I have lots and lots of questions. Right. We had Kadarius Tony, who was in and out of the lineup all the time because of various injuries. Mm -hmm. Kenny Galladay, who was an extremely talented receiver, but extremely brittle as well. Sterling Shepard also was doing very brittle. well for them and still very brittle. And then on top of all that, then you have Saquon, who we are still hoping can actually return after having that catastrophic injury. So looking at the Giants offensively, I'm not that sure. No, my wife, she has a cousin who is a Giants fan. He said that as long as they get rid of Gettleman, everything will be good. I'm not so sure. And when I look at Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones does not convince me at He's all. Correct. At all. So that's, that's why I would not <laughs> lean towards the Giants. Now, when I look at the Vikings, because the Vikings still have Kirk Cousins. <laughs> Kirk Cousins puts a ceiling. He puts a cap over what the Vikings can achieve. And while the Vikings, probably when you take all of the skill position players, they probably have the best one in Justin Jefferson. 
our receiver. Adam Thaler, he's not going to get that ankle surgery, so we have to see what he looks like when he comes back. And then everybody knows how I feel about Davin Cook and his dodgy hamstrings. So <laughs> when I put all of that together, there are lots of question marks there about the Vikings' offense. Yes, the Vikings do have a decent defense, but that defense does need to be rebuilt now because they have been on a steady decline over the last two or three seasons. But then we come to Denver. And Denver is a quarterback away, in my opinion. They're literally a quarterback away from being a serious contender with the Kansas City Chiefs for the top of their division. Now, this division is literally going to be held for the next decade. Because you have Patrick Mahomes, who has basically a lifetime contract with Kansas City. You have Justin Herbert, who is going to get a lifetime contract with the LA Chargers. The next coach probably is going to feel much better about Derek Carr than Chucky ever showed himself to be because Derek Carr is still an above-average quarterback. So now Denver just needs to get a quarterback. But Denver has one of the best uh, wide receiver rooms and tight end in the league. They still have a pretty good offensive line, and their defense is extremely stout, especially when you look at the talent that they have on the corners and in the safeties, you know, the secondary. When you put all of that together in a nice little package, yes, the division will give you pause. But when you look at the team, you would then tell yourself that this team has the horses, no pun intended, to run with the Chiefs and the others at the top of the AFC. Mr. Professor, I will give you a passing grade on the argument. The only thing I will say in rebuttal is this hinges on your ability to woo one of those marquee quarterbacks For sure. to, to a mile high. That's it. That's it. That's all it is, really. I agree. Gotta, you got to get... If, if Aaron Bat raise everybody... <laughs> then you gotta go hard. You gotta go hard for Russ or Deshaun, but you need to get one of those guys. Agree. You're not. You're not completely wrong, but let me play devil's advocate here. I, to your credit, you did say that our our choices may hold a bit more weight than yours. But I think you're being a homer here. I think you're underselling. The other teams are selling the Broncos a bit too high. Jerry Judy just came back off an injury too. Jerry Judy just came back off of an injury as well. Um, Courtney Sutton? Yeah, yeah. And he know, I mean, but he not just got a contract and all. I mean, but yeah, so he, but he's there. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it's not that they don't have weapons. I, I do agree with you that obviously the defense, Denver's defense was better than Minnesota's this year. I think you're understanding the fact that a lot of the Vikings defensive players who were on the team a few years ago when they made that NFC Championship game with the one and only case, the, the, a lot of those players are still there. Obviously, like, it's, it's a few years ago, so you don't expect them to be at that same prime level, but they're still capable of producing if they have a good structure in the defense. This year wasn't it, right? They, they were just a lot wrong with that unit. 
But I still think that that potential is still there. Because um, I even forgot to mention the fact that Daniel Hunter, I mean, yeah, he's, he's going to be coming off an injury, but he's a major player in that defense as well. I don't know. I just, I, I, I still, it is, it is less about the, the in, let me not focus too much on the injuries for Denver or whatnot and with the offense. It is more to me about, as, as Ricky, the, to piggyback off of Ricky's last point, it's just the fact that you have to convince one of these quarterbacks now to come across there. You have to convince them to get it at this point. And, and, and y'all ain't been good doing You haven't been good doing that, you know. You have not been since, since Peter. You haven't been good at, at, at bringing in a, a suitable, like, I, I, not even an average quarterback to, to lead this team. And I... So you are looking at having to, to, to bring in like a top tier, tier one or tier two quarterback to marshal this team because of the other names that you call at the end of this division, all, who we all agree are at least above average to, to elite, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's a stretch at this point because I, I, I just think that Denver is a really hard sell. I think it's a hard sell, honestly. But I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. If... In the event that it does happen, it is a very uh, attractive. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's a very attractive option. But I just think it's a very hard sell at this point. Well, talking. About- I mean, it's, it's not like Aaron Rodgers is going to go to the Vikings, so you never know. You never know. But talking about hard sells, when we look at these seven teams now, well, there's one we we could not get agreement for the best team. I'm okay. curious as. Which one of these jobs now is the least attractive, attractive. for a, a prospective head coach? And it just give you your fir- give you the first jump on this one. Well, I I kind of just said it. <laughs> I I'll, I'll stick with that so as not to. The, the thing is too. I, I I didn't want to change my answer such as Ricky did. But on the flip side of this now. I, based on the news that came out today, I would probably say the Giants. I would probably say the Giants. <laughs> because, just because of the entire situation and everything that, that, everything that has already been outlined as, as per the issues with the New York Giants, in addition to the fact that this is the New York market, you do not have any room to be a failure. You don't have any room to be, to, to, to basically be a, uh, um, to, to, to just like, like lack any sort of tactical news or anything you like that. Yeah, you can't. You can't. Like, New York will eat your life. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I don't think Denver is the least attractive. This is what I had in my notes, which is kind of why I was rebutting you, Ken. However, with that news today, I, because I, you, you, you kind of, uh, you kind of put um, some points to it. Uh, rebutted um, Ricky's argument already, so we won't get back into all of that. But it's just the fact that it's in the New York market as well. I know. I mean, the, the Mara family seems to be a very loving family, you know. So they will try to give you. They will try to give you a chance as long as you. But I, I, I think it's just hard to to have to to rebuild a franchise that was so a dysfunctional. Is I guess for for want of a better word, they weren't even just bad. They were. They were dysfunctional. They were annoying to look at. They weren't even just a bad football team. They were just, they were just annoying. 
And this is none of your um, two Super Bowl losing here trades. That's no, 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 no. I mean, don't get you know you know how I feel about New York teams, New York franchises generally in sports. However, in all sports. It's not, yeah, in, in all, in all. I mean, I respect one or two, but I don't like it. Um, but no, nah, it has nothing to do with that. It's just I, I just think that the Giants that that is a, a real tough situation to go into. It just had, it just had to be clear for the people. Those that know of your of your <laughs> allegiances, we just had to we had to put that out there. You know? I don't like him. I don't like none. What about you, Ricky? Where's your job? I, I, I would have to go with Jacksonville simply because it, at different points in this season, reinforced that was a bad team. Yes, I know a lot of blame went to Urban Meyer. But the reality of it is we know that in the NFL, a lot of this is defined based on the franchise. Um, classic example. I don't think we think that the Steelers are a good football team this season, but there's something about that franchise and the professionalism that they find a way to make it into the postseason. Same thing you said earlier, Ken, about the Saints. Um, we didn't look at this for QBs, all of the adversity, but Saints still found a way to be there and to have, you know, to have a chance at getting back there. Um, there's a flip side to that in the in the NFL and some of uh, your listeners will tease me as a Jets fan. I probably know what a dysfunctional franchise looks like. <laughs> but there's no question that Jacksonville, um, there's a stench left after Urban Meyer left. And there's also a bad product on the field. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with their running backs. Obviously, ETN has to come back from injury. James Robinson has to come back from injury. Don't know what that Carlos Hyde experiment was about. The wide receivers, DJ Chark is coming back from injury. The wide receivers at one point, I think um, I stand to be corrected. But I think we had a situation where their quarterback went nine games without throwing a touchdown pass. I mean, we could blame Urban Meyer for a number of things, but schematically, you've got to find a way that this young man could get some confidence and throw a touchdown pass. So I think Jacksonville has a work cut out because they also don't have a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. And it's going to be a hard sell for free agents as a number of teams are because, I, and I always remember Fred Taylor saying this on the I Am Athlete podcast, that it was a hard job for him to convince like real premier free agents to come and play in Jacksonville. And I don't think that that has changed. So I know we like to say, well, you're going to build through the draft. That's fine. But you have enough draft capital. Yes, they have. And they always, in the last few years, they've always been in the top four or five in the league in cap space. Right now, they're fourth most overall with $61 million in cap space. But every season, you hear that Jacksonville is up there in cap space. And they're not able to convert that into securing, you know, some real elite-level um, free agents. So I think it's going to be tough sledding for whoever takes the Jacksonville job because it seems like you have a meddlesome owner. Your quarterback did not have a season that you can say, okay, um, we have full confidence in this young man. You're going to have to rebuild his confidence after the season he had. And you have to find him some weapons, both in a draft and via free agency. And I think it's going to be very, very difficult to get um, talent to come to Jacksonville. So that job, when you look at the division as well, is going to be a real hard sell. And already I've seen on some social media um, spaces, people are saying that some of the 
you know, especially the minority talented coaches, they're saying, well, whatever they do, don't go to Jacksonville. If that's already started in the social space, um, imagine what it's like for the potential coach and their extended family and their potential coaches that they may take. Why would you want to put together a team um, to go after that job when they are more attractive jobs like Minnesota and Denver and um, et cetera? So I think that one is going to be very, very tough. And I, I'm not sure if the owner should be as involved as he's been in the past, because I think he's also establishing a bit of a track record as being too meddlesome or having bad judgment as he did recently with Urban Meyer. Mm -hmm. So I would have to say Jacksonville is going to be the least attractive job to potential um, coaching can head coaching candidates. Okay. Well, I thought I, at least I would have gotten agreement with one of the two of you. <laughs> well, it doesn't seem to keep that's working out here either. I was sure that one of you was going to say the other team in your division that currently has a vacancy, Miami. I oh don't know. Right here, no sitting down, with the exception of Jalen Waddle and maybe one or two of their corners. Where's the talent on Miami? When you look at Miami's team, top to bottom, Straight across both lines. Was there? They don't trust the quarterback. We know they don't trust the quarterback. And whoever comes in now, the GM is still there. So the GM picked the quarterback. We know the coach didn't do it. So whichever coach comes in now mm. has to come in with a plan. How am I going to fix tour? So the quarterback, we got question marks about the quarterback. They've had a revolving door at running back. The last couple of seasons. Yes, they have Jalen Waddle. He looks like he's going to be a stud. They have mm -hmm. two pretty good tight ends in Smith and Gesicki that they've been using interchangeably all season, much to my fancy team's chagrin. <laughs> but after we go through those five, and I think there's only one corner whose name we really know. Mm -hmm. Where's the rest of the, the talent? that we're supposed to be then hanging our hat on and saying, this is what I'm going in. This is the foundation that I have. And this is what I'm going to build all off of. And then you look again at, you no know, the situation, they just fired the head coach where a lot of people are in the position that you guys are in, which is that this was a surprise. That mm -hmm. Flores didn't do such a bad job that right. he deserved to be fired. So, when I come in as head coach, looking at the lack of talent that I have on the roster, what am I supposed to do with this? And if in our first season we go 5-12 and 12, or we go 4-13 and 13, and then the second season, then we are 8-9 and nine or 7-10. and 10. Yes, there's improvement, but is that mm -hmm. going to be enough then to secure my position? You have to be concerned about seeing what happened with the mm -hmm. last person that was in this job before you take it. I mean, we do it in our corporate True. jobs all the time. True. So when you see all of this, and then you fight in the division, you have Buffalo, that is an extremely strong team, a rebuilding New England, and a Jets team that has to be better next season because they had the youngest yep. roster. In the, right. in the league this season, they're they're going to find 
ways to try to improve going into next season. You, you're looking at a team that doesn't have the pieces already that could easily fall to the bottom of the division regardless of who's coaching. I don't know how you how you sell that. You win now and you win now and Professor Griff. You win now and you win now. <laughs> I, I think the defense is as bad as you make it seem though, but fair enough. I, I get the argument. It's, it, it's still it would be a hard sell. I get that. But the defense was mid, about middle of the pack, to be fair. They like, really turned it on. I think they became blitz happy, but what helped them is that they got matchups against quarterbacks that were confused by the blitz. And they really started to pick it up. Yeah, agreed. If they had played my sense with a competent quarterback, we would have beat them. I'm confident mm. of that. We would have beat them. Because my defense had them good. My defense had them in problems. The same thing they used against Lamar, they did against your Saints, against um, TSM. So yeah, they, when they when they had uh when they had a QB that they knew would have uh difficulty getting the ball downfield, they, they took that away. So agree, but I agree, the cupboard is pretty bare when you when you really take time and, and have a look. Um, which could argue that Flores really found a way to get it done because he covered it. <laughs> exactly. And that's why I expect that Flores is going to get a lot of attention during this, this coaching um, period, this carousel that's going to turn. I anticipate that he's most likely going to get a job heading into next season. I think yeah. one of the Bucks, one of the Bucks um, coordinators will probably get a job as well, I would imagine. If more than possible. Like, more possible. But, you know, I did see an article where it said that the, the, the difficulty that we always have when <coughs> there is a lot of focus on one minority candidate, which is every year is always the enemy, is that yeah. then everybody else tends to get pushed down. So if sure. Flores now becomes that guy, then what happens to the others? And that's a good point, Ken, because sometimes I wonder if that is intentional because I've seen it happen so many times. They pick one name, that name is the one bandied about, and then by extension, the other names evaporate. You're right. I've seen that movie a few times. Yeah. We can't put anything past the, the NFL. No, no. That's the unfortunate reality. Agreed. And that's a good spot for us to land this week's episode. We had a lot of fun. Yes, indeed. And, well, the no, just it dawned on me halfway through the show and went Dolphins, guys. I, I, I <laughs> yeah, I saw that too. I just didn't make a comment about it. <laughs> I, uh, while, I was, while I was speaking about them disparaging me, I, I reckon, I, I was like, this, this is just a Nike D. This is a Nike D. It's not just... This, well, I wore a black shirt today in, in commemoration of those who would have been in mourning this week. Like Ricky, Ricky, even though Ricky is going to wear his jet shirt, <laughs> that's a perpetually in mourning because of the- <laughs> <laughs> so, that is the end of another episode of the Green Beach Podcast. We want to give great thanks again to Ricky Nurse for joining us this week. Ricky, we will have conversations to see when you can be back with us before your schedule gets hectic again. Mm-hmm. So, as always, that... This week is AJ. There. <laughs> that is Ricky joining us this week. I am Ken. This has been the Green Bears Podcast. We will see you next time.